Oh, well, welcome everyone. Uh, my name's Riley. I'm the pastor of the church. I think the chairs were set up a bit further back, so I thought I'd come to you, come a bit forward. Someone, sounds like someone's shushing me at the back there. Is that someone's white noise going? <laughs> uh, we are in Romans chapter 1 today, verses 24 to 32. Uh, my title for the message today is Don't Buy the Lie. But I could have had multiple titles. This is a really significant passage of Scripture, a hard one, a heavy one, but a good one. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, you can put your hand up. We can get you a Bible. And Arby at the back will give you a Bible so you can read along. We use the ESV translation if you're using a phone Bible. And I will read verse 18, and then I'll read verses 24 to 32. Four. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, I pray that you would bless the preaching and the reading of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I shared the story of Matthew, the tax collector, and how he became a Christian. He was sitting there doing his job, and one day Jesus said, follow me. He got up, left his job, and started following Jesus and experienced a totally new life. Perhaps he was a slave of greed and covetousness, but then he followed Jesus and found new life. Shortly after that, Matthew records in his gospel uh, one of my other favorite scenes in the whole Bible. Um, if you go to Matthew chapter 9, if you're reading along... He records this scene. To, you know, Jesus has been rocking around doing a lot of preaching and healing. And then Matthew says this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I love this story because we see Jesus on the move, 
preaching the gospel, healing people, liberating people. But when he looks upon sinful people, he looks upon lost people, although he's holy, although he's righteous, and you never can diminish that, he sees them. And what wells up inside of him is compassion. He sees little lost sheep wandering about, munching on poisonous weeds, drinking from poisonous water holes and empty cisterns that don't provide true life and true living water. And instead of being cranky and angry and wrathful, which he is in his perfect nature, but in that moment, he has compassion on them. He sees them as lost sheep, harassed by people selling them lies, by people leading them astray and helpless with no leaders to protect them because they've rejected God. When we come to a passage like the one I just read, we see lots of description of, you could have just said this is describing modern day Parramatta because that's what it is. There can be a temptation for religious people to be like the Pharisees of Jesus' time. Be like, I can't believe those people out there. And that's why I wanted to begin with the story of Jesus. When he sees the crowds, yes, he sees their sin. Yes, he knows they are unrighteous. But what wells up inside of him is compassion. And that's what we need as we look upon our world Because we're just like the world. We were once like that and we still fall into the same traps. How many times this week have you wandered off from your God and nibbled and drunk from empty cisterns and poisonous weeds, things that you thought would satisfy you but haven't? You see, when we come to passages like this, we need to be like Jesus. We need to have grace and truth. We need the truth. We need to know certain things are weeds and certain things are poisonous water and they will not help us. It's no use telling people it's all okay, everything's fine. That doesn't help anyone. But we also need grace to see that people are led along by their desires and they're misplaced and and they're not in the right place. And so some of us today need to flex our truth muscle and be willing to call sin, sin. Some of us need to flex the grace muscle And have compassion like our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think Paul was like that. I think Paul understood both realities. You see, if we if you remember the argument of where we've been in the gospel, or sorry, in the in the letter to Rome, if you remember back to verse 15, Paul said, like, I really want to come to Rome because I am eager to preach the gospel to you. He's eager to preach the gospel. Why? Verse 16, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've become, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're a homosexual or you're in a, a, you know, disobedient to parents, whatever, he's eager to preach the gospel because the gospel has the power to save. It can transform lives. And so he's not cranky. He's not angry. He's eager because he wants to see lost sheep brought back home. And the gospel has power to save because when you believe in Jesus Christ, verse 17 of Romans chapter 1 says, the righteousness of God is revealed. You become instantly righteous in God's sight, free from the penalty of death. 
And that's the reason why Paul's so eager as well. We learned in verse 18, why is this such good news? Why is he so eager to preach it? Well, the truth side, the wrath of God is being revealed. Yes, God has compassion, but he's also a just judge and he will punish wicked people for their sins. We learned last week in 19 to 23 that everyone is without excuse. No one can say, I never knew. We've seen in creation, we've seen in the, the majesty of the heavens, just that God is a good God. He's amazing and he deserves our worship. But instead, we turn from that God and we go off and we go into the weeds and the wilderness and we drink from poison water. And so then verse 24 to 32 explains how the wrath of God is revealed. How does God bring his wrath on Parramatta? How does he do that? Well, that's our passage for today. And surprisingly, what this passage teaches us is that God's wrath is revealed not in volcanoes primarily, not in floods, not in bushfires, not in anything like that. But primarily, God's wrath is revealed in one simple and horrifying way. He lets us do what we want. That's the point of this passage. God's wrath is revealed in our world by letting us do what we want. You see, the Bible describes sin in multiple different ways. Sometimes it's about breaking a law. But in Romans chapter 1 through to 6 and chapter 7, sin is described as a power, a ruler, a master. And once you allow sin into your life and you turn from God, you're not free. You become, you're either a slave of God or a slave of sin. And sin is not a kind ruler. It will lead you into terrible places and never back to lush green grass or beside cool streams of water. Romans chapter 6, if you just pop across there, verse 12, says it very clearly in verse 16. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. See that word reign? To make you obey its passions. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So as we explore verse 24 to 32, we see lots of descriptions of sinful actions. But actually what Paul is talking about is the power of sin. And we're given over to this new master and we become slaves of it. And he outlines kind of two main forms of sin slavery. And we're going to focus on those two. Um, in points one and two. And then point three, we're going to look at how do we escape that slavery and find freedom. So let's look at the first one. Point number one, sexual slavery. Point number one, sexual slavery. Look at verse 24 to 27 again with me. Now that you've got this lens of slavery in mind, think it, read these verses a bit differently. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. 
because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the man likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Did you notice twice in that verse it talked about God giving us over to our desires? That's how God's wrath is revealed. He lets us do what we want. And one example of that, the, the primary example that Paul gives, the longest description he gives in this passage, is the example of sexual sin. Every human is sexual and from increasing from birth up until even old, you know, it's, it, we're sexual beings. We can't escape that. God created us sexual beings. But when we turn from God as the designer of sex and we turn to our own passions of our flesh, we end up in all forms of sexuality that don't accord with God's design. And one of the ones that he focuses on here, though he could focus on many different ones, is homosexual sin. Homosexual sexuality, male to male or female to female sexuality. Why does he focus on that here? Uh, not because God hates homosexuals or it's the worst sin ever, but because it's a very good example of what Paul has been talking about with the exchanging that humans do. We exchange the glory of God for man and creatures and beasts. So we take what is glorious and we do what is unnatural. We worship the creation. And so sexuality is we're taking what is God's design and then we do it our own way. And that's why he calls it natural and unnatural. If you go back to Genesis, you'll see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God's original design for creation and, and marriage. Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall be, become one flesh. So God's original design for sexuality was one man, one woman, in a lifelong one flesh union. And so as humans, we're meant to obey that. That's God's best. That's the only way he wants sex to be used. In any other way, in any other description or anything else, not just homosexuality, but any other type of sexuality, is against God's design, his natural, good, created design, the best way to use it. And everything else, whatever you put in there, is wrong. Uh, you could imagine a John Dixon, I remember um, he... He um, had a description in a book called Sneaking Suspicion about sex. Is, it's the difference between a Datsun and a Porsche, um, if you know those two cars. But let, let's, I'll use you know, a paddock basher and a Ferrari. A paddock basher is a car, car that you no longer want to use on the highway or on the, the streets. You put it on your farm, and you don't have to register it. You drive it around, you smash it up, you don't care. And when it conks out, you just leave it there, and it rusts. Uh, and you can use it however you want. You don't care who drives it. You don't care what happens because it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just there for enjoyment, for fun. Versus a Ferrari. 
You know, a Ferrari, a highly designed, beautiful, you know, you know, machine that is designed to go fast, go well, go quick. If you were given keys to a brand new Ferrari, I highly doubt anyone would take the Ferrari and go for a paddock bash. <laughs> Yet, sex is just like that. Sex is this incredible thing that God has given us, this amazing, beautiful gift and for pleasure, for procreation, uh, for unity in marriage. And yet, when we're left to our own desires, we drive around on the highway for a bit and get bored and think, maybe there's other ways I could use this car. And we veer off and we go for a paddock bash. And the result is our sexuality gets all broken up. That's what Paul is saying here. That's why homosexual sex is wrong, because it goes against God's intended design and order. That's why he brings it up as an example, because it's God's design, and we flip it and go, well, we're going to do it our own way. Last week, I quoted a lady, Rebecca Pippett. She says this, Whatever controls us is our Lord. Whatever controls us is our Lord. If we allow our sexual drive to control us, it becomes like a God to us. And instead of us driving the car, it's like the car's in autopilot and it drives you. So one way that God's wrath is revealed in this world is by instead of taking the keys off us, he lets us sit in that car and lets our sexuality drive us wherever our sexuality wants to go. And when we don't conform our sexuality to God's written word, it goes in all manner of dark and desperate and lonely um, and deformed and twisted places. Now, there is likely some people here who may experience homosexual desires or same-sex attractions, or you may know people who have these kind of desires and attractions, or, or even, according to the law in Australia, married to someone of the same sex. What I'm not trying to do is say God hates you particularly or that I hate you, even though that in our day and age to say that homosexual sex is wrong is considered sort of a form of hatred. It's not. It's actually a form of love. Because according to what the Bible says, it's like munching on poisonous weeds or drinking dirty water. Any sex outside of marriage between a man and woman is like that. And so I would just appeal to you, if this is something that you struggle with or you know someone who struggles with it, that God loves you and has compassion on you and that as a church we want to help people figure this out and journey and, and find out that there's better ways of living than being led by our sexual desire. And I just would implore you and encourage you, let's talk about it. This doesn't have to be a fight. This isn't war. In fact, this is just mercy and love saying, this is what the Bible teaches. This is God's good design, and he offers you a way out. So the first description of what happens when God is enacting wrath on humanity is he gives us over to our desires, and we become slaves to them. We're ruled by our sex rather than ruling over it. The second way is what I've entitled everything else slavery. Uh, and that's where Paul goes in chapter 1, verse 28. Look at, look at it again. One twenty-eight. Paul says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind 
to do what ought not to be done. So see the link there. Since they did not see fit, so they didn't see fit to acknowledge God or honor God, then God gives them up to a unfit or a debased mind. And the result is all those sins that are listed afterwards. So when we don't feel fit to acknowledge God as the Lord of sex, we get given over to all sexual desire. In our minds, when we say, God, I'm not going to let you rule over how I live, the result is our minds are no longer able to figure out what is good from evil. And we get all mixed up in our world and we do all these horrible things to each other and we just, communities break down, families break down, societies break down, nations go to war, families break up, all of that because we don't acknowledge God as God and submit to what he has said is best. And so Paul lists a whole lot of those things that are the result of God just letting us do what we want. Look at, look at the list here. And, you know, if Paul spent as long on each one of these as he did just on that little section of homosexuality, I'm sure more of us would be offended. <laughs> they were filled. This is talking about the Gentile world, but really all humanity. They were filled. This is what happens when you walk away from God. You become slaves of all these things. Unrighteousness evil, covetousness, which means when you just want what other people have, malice, that's just anger and wrath against people, just frustration. You see it in like road rage incidents. People are just given over and they, they follow people home and they're just so angry. They are full of envy. Perhaps it's people at work that you just envy. Why do they get position? Why do they get to do that? How come they're so good? Murder. Strife. It is causing quarreling. Deceit. The temptation just to lie and pretend as if something else is reality because it can get you out of harm or get you in to riches. Maliciousness. They are gossips. Does anyone not struggle at times with gossip? The Proverbs call it like a juicy morsel. It's like we just want to talk about someone behind their back and it just tastes so good in that moment because in that moment, ah, we're suddenly better than someone. Or you get power. Maybe you gossip because it gives you power. You're the one that knows what's going on in everyone's life and you get to share that little bit of knowledge. Slanderers. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, proud and arrogant, just thinking you're so good, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. If we weren't slaves of sin, every child would be born saying, yes, mom, yes, dad. And we laugh, but the reality is, is that it's, it's, it's actually a horrific sin because it mimics our hatred of God and his authority because God has put parents in charge of children and then when we reject parents, we're rejecting God and we're so used to it, but it's so wrong. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And then the way we excuse and trying to create a community of people just like us in our sin, 
Though they know God's righteous decree, maybe in their consciousness, maybe they don't actually know the law, but they know it, that those who practice those things, not a naughty, not a bit cheeky, but deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Everything else, slavery. Once you give your mind away from God and just let yourself just do what you want, the result is not a great world. It's not a nice world. It's not a peaceful world. It's a, it's a debased world. It's a broken world. Even in the hippie movement, it was all about love and freedom, but it didn't work out like that. You give yourself away from God and you get led and you slave to your sin. So Tom Schreiner, in his commentary, says, Sin doesn't consist first and foremost in acts that transgress God's law. Sins all stem from a rejection of God as God, a failure to give him honor and glory. So we think sin, like naughty, 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 wrong, 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 wrong. But actually, the, the sin is to exchange God. Let's go, uh, something else. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's the sin. And then everything else, all the X's, all the wrong, and the, that's what we do as a result of that. But when we turn from God, it's like the root of our tree gets poisoned, and then the fruit is everything else. So here's my one-sentence summary of this section, and actually a lot of Romans. Sin is slavery. Worship is liberty. Don't buy the lie. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. Sin is slavery. Worship is liberty. Don't buy the lie. True life is only found. In Jesus Christ. So how do we escape the slavery of sin and find freedom and true liberty? In the movie Jesus Revolution, which if you haven't seen, you should see. If you want to watch it, come to my house. I bought it. I love it because I grew up in a church which was my youth pastor was like a student of the Jesus movement. If you don't know about it, in the late 60s, early 70s in the US, a whole bunch of hippies became Christians. And they, they became Bible-believing, they read the Gospels, they changed their life, and everything about kind of hippie life, they then turned it into Christianity. And they, they, that's where modern worship music came from. So much of the church has been influenced by it. But there's this great scene in the movie Jesus Revolution where... Chuck Smith is watching this news program and he's the pastor of um, Calvary Chapel and his church is real small, it's dying, they're, they're kind of conservative, like, oh, how evil's the world, it's terrible out there, we've just got to hold on and be good. And then um, he's watching this program about the hippies and he's sitting there with his wife and she says, oh, they need help. And he says, they don't need help, they need a bath. <laughs> and then his daughter's like, come on, Dad, like that's... That's why our church is dying. And he said, well, if God brings me a hippie, then I'll, have a, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. 
And then she picks up a hippie on the, her way home one day and brings the hippie into his home. And so he walks in, he's like, whoa. And there's this guy and it's Jesus from The Chosen, if you've seen The Chosen. And he's got like this full-on hippie outfit. He looks like Jesus himself. And he's just like, I love you. And he starts giving him a hug and Chuck's like, oh, what's going on? And uh, Lonnie Frisbee is the name of that hippie. And he'd become a Christian through quite a wild experience. But he started leading all these people to Christ, moved from San Fran down into Costa Mesa, um, into Southern California, and had started preaching the gospel. And all these hippies are starting to get saved. But they don't go to church because they don't fit. They don't have this culture. They feel like they're outcasts because of their sex and their drugs and all these things. And so Lonnie Frisbee kind of turns to Chuck and says this to him. He says about his people, the hippie people, the drugs is a quest for God. How can you not see that? There is an entire generation right now searching for God. I know we must seem a little strange, but if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, You'll see a bunch of kids that are searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. They're sheep without a shepherd, chasing hard after lies. It's an apt description of all of us, really. Searching for only what God can provide in anywhere but him, himself. That might be you. You might not yet be a Christian this morning and you know that quest. You want something that's comforting, something that's protective, something that's enjoyable, something that will secure you and sustain you and you're searching and you're searching and you've looked in so many places but it comes up short every time. That's what the hippies found with drugs. They thought... The psychedelic experience would save them, but it actually just ruined their lives. But you replace that with anything, career or family or sexuality or comfort or luxury or whatever. You search hard after that and it becomes your master and it never repays what it promises. But the offer of life and true life is only in Jesus Christ. He promises to satisfy eternally, to give comfort eternally, protection eternally. But it's also the same if you're a Christian here this morning because we do it all the same as well. We know the true life and yet we still attempted to look around and go, there's some other way, there's some other you know, little, I'm just going to nibble on this, I'm going to drink from that and that's going to satisfy me. And perhaps that's where you're at this morning as well. And what do we do? Well, Jesus made this call to anyone. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. You know it if you've been in this church. But hear it afresh. Because this is a call to escape slavery to sin. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Wherever you're at this morning, the call from our Savior Jesus Christ is come, drink of this water and you will never thirst eternally again. You'll be filled. Come, escape the slavery, escape the burden, escape the, the, the death that is in all that we think is life and I will give you rest. How do we do that? It's simple, one word, repent. All of life is repentance, Martin Luther said. Repentance means to turn from the sin and turn to the Savior. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you stay a Christian. Some of us need to repent for the very first time this morning. You need to, this day, turn from the weeds and the, the poisonous water and say, you're my shepherd, Jesus. I trust you. Lead me to that eternal life you promised. And some of us need to repent of straying back out from the fold and going toward whatever idol we think will satisfy us. Either way, all of us repent and come to Christ and experience life. As we saw last week in that story of Aslan, he says, if you're thirsty, you may drink. And the great and glorious reality, the amazing thing is, is Romans 1:16. If you turn to Christ right now, there's power to break the chains of slavery. You might think, I can't change. I've been like this my whole life. I can't escape my sins. I can't escape. It's got a hold on me. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If you repent and believe, you'll be free today. If you're a Christian experiencing a common and recurrent temptation like I do to chase after this world, well, I want to read to us from Romans 6, just, and I'm going to let Paul pastor us as application to how do we, what are we meant to do? We've, 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 we've left the world behind. We follow Christ, but we go back there. What do we do? Well, Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. You don't have to be under the rule of sin. You are free in Jesus Christ. It doesn't rule you. Nothing in your sinful life rules you today. You are free. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Is the freedom of Christ liberty to sin? No, it's liberty to worship. It's liberty to drink of Jesus and live all your life for Him. Set free from this world. Verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Who do you want to be a slave of today? Righteousness and God or your sin, which leads to death. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, B 
been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He doesn't like using the language of slavery, but he's, he's using it. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, think of Romans 1, 24 to 32, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. There is a freedom of sin. It's a free fall with no parachute, but it's freedom. But the end is death. Verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time? If you're not yet a Christian today, what fruit are you getting? You've rejected Christ. You don't want Jesus. Is your life going well? Are you secure? Are you comforted? Are you protected? Are you enjoying your life? Or is the fruit not what it lives up to be? Why? Well, the, the end of those things is death. But now, for the Christian, that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Summary, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you're a Christian, present yourself again to God. Repent of how you've fallen into sin and say, take me, use me. Use my body, use my sexuality, use my mind for your righteousness. I want to live for you this week. Lead me by your spirit. I don't want to be under slavery to sin. I want to be a slave of righteousness today. And if you're not yet a Christian, abandon, abandon the false way. It leads to death. It promises life and worship Jesus Christ and you will experience liberty. There's a song that I like, that we're going to sing, which we don't normally sing, but I wanted to sing. It's called, O Come to the Altar. It says this, Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. O come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus looks upon us with compassion and offers us life and life to the full. Come to him and come back to him and drink of the wells of salvation and live for his glory and praise and honor this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand, um, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing that song. And You can sing this song for the first time and become a Christian, or you can sing this song as sort of like a rededication, as a, I believe these truths, and I'm coming back to you, oh Lord. So Lord, I pray and ask that as we sing, that you would move in us right now, would you save people and would you save Christians from going back out into the world and chasing sin? And Lord, I pray for my own heart that you would thrill me with your love, that I would not be tempted by the poisonous weeds and the dirty water, but I would drink, that we would all drink of the living water, your son, Jesus Christ. Please move in us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.